reading is from Matthew 20, verses 1 to 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his four men, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do with what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the Gospel of Christ. Praise to Christ the Word. Thank you, Linda. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for... Well, we always thank you for your word, but uh, when we hear these parables on the lips of the Lord Jesus, we thank you for them, for the truths that they contain, for the challenges so often they hold. And I pray that as we think on this particular parable this morning, that by your spirit you may work amongst us. Let us see perhaps afresh the, uh, the truths contained in it. And as a result, we pray that we would love you more, Heavenly Father. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, this morning I'm uh, doing something a little different. I've made the decision, a uh, sad decision, not to finish off the series that we've been going through over the last couple of weeks. And I'm, I apologise for those of you who were looking forward to the last one. We were doing a three-week series uh, leading up to Lessons and Carols and Christmas. And the three-week series was Jesus' Prophet, Jesus as priest and Jesus as king. And so the last two weeks Joel has preached on Jesus as prophet and Jesus as priest. And really good stuff. If you haven't heard it, I'd encourage you to find, track it down online and listen to it. Uh, and I was to preach on Jesus as king this morning. <clears throat> I apologise for my cough. Uh, thankfully, I think this is the best known of those three. So you're not, we're missing the most familiar. I don't think we always necessarily think of Jesus as prophet. It was good to be challenged by that. We don't necessarily automatically think of him as priest. Great to be reminded of that. But we probably do very familiar with him as Lord, as king. 
And so I asked for permission if I was able to do this, and Joel said I could, as long as at some stage this morning I say Jesus is king. So, Joel, Jesus is king. And um, there it is. And we'll be reminded of that as we keep going. But it's not just that I'm breaking up the series. I'm also going to do something that I I haven't done very often in my uh, years here at St. Stephen's. I'm going to allow the present circumstances to input what I'm going to preach on. And I've told you before, I don't tend to do this very often because um, there's a danger if you do that regularly. Because what it means is that the world and the present circumstances set the agenda for what we think about and reflect on in church life. And that shouldn't really be the way. That's, that's, you end up doing that, you end up on preachers' hobby horses and uh, th- those sorts of things. We preach through books of the Bible and let the Word set the agenda and then think about how that affects our lives. But I'm going to do it uh, this morning because, well, really, because this is the last time I get to choose what I preach here at St. Stephen's because next week it's Lessons and Carols and uh, then it's Christmas services. And then my last Sunday, which is Boxing Day, is St. Stephen's Day. That's what it is on the church calendar, so... It's hard to break from that, and um, so I'm going to break uh, <clears throat> and do this, and it's a little odd because this is a passage, some of you may remember, Joel looked at a few weeks ago in our series in Matthew. Uh, well, Joel didn't do a very good job, and so I would like, Joel did a great job, we're going to think of it differently uh, this morning. And I'm, I'm doing it because I continue to worry that this is a very, very difficult time for our country. I'm doing it this morning because I worry that this is a very, very difficult time for our world. And because of that, it's a very, very difficult time for our church family here at St. Stephen's and for all Christians. There's a darkness to the days that we're living in. But I've said a number of times, and I continue to believe this is true, it's in dark times that the light shines most brightly. And so during these times, you and I as Christians are going to have opportunities that perhaps we wouldn't under any other circumstances to point people to the light of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to have opportunities if we take it, if we uh, think about it and are intentional and deliberate in difficult times to point people to the answer, to the one who can give eternal confidence and assurance. And so I'd like us to think about these things. If we live counterculturally at the moment and treat people in a different way than the rest of the world is, and have a different attitude to people than the rest of the world is, the light of the Lord Jesus will shine more brightly. And that's my prayer that you and I will continue to do. Now, because I'm doing it in these certain circumstances and COVID's all around us and things, uh, your mind may automatically go to COVID stuff as I preach, and there's no problem with that. But I want to assure you what I've always said before when I speak this morning, I'm not speaking with any particular people in mind. I'm not thinking about any particular conversations or correspondence that I've had with anyone here. I can assure you of that. I'm not thinking about any survey results comments that you may have put in. I haven't even looked at the survey. The staff can tell you I deliberately haven't looked at the survey because I didn't want to think about it when I was preaching. Uh, So there's nothing except my general reflections. As I've travelled around different churches over the last few weeks, as I've spent time listening uh, and sensing where things are at, uh, this is where, uh, what I'd like to share this morning. So let me get into things. And I'd like to do it by asking you a very simple question, but there's, um, don't be fooled by simplicity. There's quite often something profound behind the simple. This is the question, is God fair? Is God fair? It's a question that I imagine many of us think has got a, a very obvious, very simple answer. Of course he's fair. Is he? Is he fair? And what does this parable have to say on that particular issue? Even the famous last line of this parable suggests the answer is not as simple as we sometimes imagine. 
Have a look at the last verse. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Is that fair? If you've been waiting on a line the whole time, and then suddenly you're told to, uh, sorry, if you could just go to the back. If you've been waiting for no time at all, right at the back, and someone says, come to the front, come right up to the front. Is that fair? This parable goes to the heart of the issue of fairness, and I think it says some surprising things, perhaps some confronting things, some challenging things for Christians. So let's have a think about the parable. It begins, if you have a look behind me, by Jesus saying that the kingdom of heaven is like this. So when Jesus gives this parable, he's teaching about God's kingdom. He's teaching about how God deals with his people in the kingdom of heaven. That's what it's about. So when we see that there's a landowner, and this is about the kingdom of heaven, the landowner must be God. And we're told that the landowner, also known as God, went out early in the morning to hire labourers for his vineyard. And he agreed upon a price for those workers to be paid. He was going to pay them the usual day wage that the workers had for working in the vineyard. And he sent them into the vineyard and they began to work. But then he goes out four more times to get more workers to come and work in the vineyard. And so each of these four groups afterwards work less time in the vineyard than the original ones who were first hired. So I want you to have a time in your mind, 6 o'clock in the morning. It doesn't say a time here, but that's the time that's being spoken of. 6 in the morning is when he met with the original workers and said, here's the deal, I'll pay you this much if you work in the vineyard. So 6 o'clock in the morning. Well, then at 9 o'clock in the morning, he goes out and he gets some more. They've obviously worked three hours less. Then he goes out again at midday at 12 o'clock and he hires some more workers. How many less have they worked? You're as bad at maths as I am. Six hours less. Then he goes out again at three o'clock in the afternoon and gets some more workers. Then he goes out at five o'clock in the afternoon and gets some more workers. Then only an hour later, less than an hour later, I think, at about six o'clock in the evening, the owner tells the manager, wrap it all up. Wrap it all up, call all the workers together and pay them and I want you to start with those who started less than an hour ago the ones that started at 5 o'clock. Now, that was a significant break with normal practice. The first workers were the ones who always got paid first. They're the ones who've been done on the bulk of the work. And you can imagine how those workers must have felt. What? What the heck is going on? Why are they getting paid before us? Why are the ones who've come last actually getting treated first? But I imagine that attitude changed when they saw how much those who'd only been working less than an hour got paid because they got a full day's wage, Jesus said. And I imagine that they stopped being grumpy at that point, the people who'd been working all day, and said, well, if they're getting paid that much, can't wait to see what I'm going to get when I get paid. Jesus, in verse 10, specifically says, when those who'd been working all day came, they thought they would get more. But they were wrong. They, too, received the amount they'd agreed upon, the usual daily wage, And so we can understand it, can't we? I don't think it's just me. We can understand it when the complaint started. We're told that they grumbled against the landowner, saying, verse 12, these men who were hired last worked only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who've borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. And you can hear, can't you, underlying all this, their question is, how's that fair? How is that fair? Well, in response, the landowner really says three things. 
One, he says, firstly, what, what I've done is just. He doesn't actually talk about fair. He uses the word fair, but he's not really talking about that. He says it's just. I've paid what we agreed upon. I haven't done something unjust. I've given what we talked about and agreed upon, and I've given you what I said I would. Secondly, he says, remember, I'm the boss, and I can do what I want with my money. And then thirdly, he really gets at the heart of the frustration where he says, end of verse 15, or are you envious because I'm generous? Are you envious because I'm generous? And Jesus then finishes the parable saying, so the last will be first and the first will be last. It's a very confronting parable. What do you make of it? It's very hard to hear it and not have a lot of sympathy for the people who've been working all day, isn't it? Your heart goes out to those who were hired first, who worked the whole time under the worst of the conditions and then only received the same as these Johnny-come-latelys who've only been there for an hour and had the easiest part of the day. It's not fair. In fact, it's very similar to another parable, the parable of the prodigal son, where again we feel sorry for the older brother. He too has been dealt with in a way that just doesn't seem fair because he's done the right thing the whole way and he doesn't get any of the joy, any of the attention, any of the gifts, any of the celebration that his brother who'd acted so abysmally gets. And so when we read the parable of the prodigal son, we end up going, that's not fair. Both these parables are saying, well, I'm asking you, are both these parables saying that God isn't fair? And I want to say there is a sense in which absolutely yes, they're saying he's not fair. God is not fair. That sounds almost blasphemous to say that, doesn't it? It sounds wrong to hear it or for me to kind of suggest it. It seems to fly in the face of what we assume about God. We think of fairness as a well-thought-of attribute and a much-sought-after quality today. And am I seriously saying that God doesn't exemplify fairness? Now, there is a sense that he is and he does, but there's another sense that that's exactly what I'm saying. He does not demonstrate fairness here or in the prodigal son. And this shouldn't surprise us because all that happens in this parable and the parable of the prodigal son is what we see taught throughout the scriptures, that God can be and is to an extent fair, but that's not what characterizes him and how he deals with us at his heart. What characterizes him at his heart and his dealings with human beings, with you and I, is something that can be summarized in one word, and that one word is grace. Grace. I wonder if in Christian circles we've, we've lost the true meaning of grace somehow. We've become so familiar with it, the jolt of what it actually is fails to hit us anymore. We hear the word grace and we think about the prayer that we say before tea at the meal table. Or we we think of the word grace that we throw out in Christian conversations so often. What is grace? Grace is undeserved blessing freely given. If you want a working definition for grace, there's one for you. Undeserved blessing freely given. Therefore, grace by its very nature is unfair because it is undeserved uh, blessing freely given. It is not merited Did the workers who had only worked one hour in the easiest of conditions, did they at all deserve a full day's wage? No, they did not. 
Did the younger brother in the parable of the prodigal son, who had treated his father so awfully, acted as if he wished he was dead, squandered the money without thinking about anyone else, wasted his life and demonstrated such a selfishness, did he deserve as he came home his father to run out and throw his arms around him and kiss him, to give him the ring and put on the cloak and kill the fatted calf? Did did anything about the younger brother deserve that response at all? Absolutely not. But let me make it more personal. Did I, who is so selfish and so thoughtless and so unkind and impatient and so proud, do I deserve to have the righteousness of Christ credited to me? Do I deserve to be fully forgiven and wonderfully embraced by the God of the universe? Do I deserve the honour and privilege of being adopted by God as his son? and given the same status as a member of the family? No, I do not. But there is grace, undeserved blessing, freely given. Do I deserve the beauty of the new creation and the confidence it gives me for life that I know how it ends and I can look forward to it? There's not one part of that that I deserve. And yet God in his grace has gifted it to me, given it to me, poured it out for me. Is God fair? It's not the answer we might think. Did Jesus deserve to go to the cross to win all this for me? No, he did not. Fairness is not at the heart of the gospel, friends. Graces. Graces. God is full of grace. He's full of love and he lavishes his blessings onto people you and I, who don't deserve them. He's full of grace, which is fundamentally not fair. Now, the cross is just. It's not that it's unjust. Sin is dealt with. It's not wiped under the carpet. It's not ignored. It's dealt with. But, but the cross is also manifestly unfair. Jesus didn't deserve what he went through for it, and I don't deserve the benefits of it. And to think anything else is wrong. But God loves me. He loves you. And I pray that you and I, at this particular time of history, may hold on to the grace that we've received and know it with such thankfulness and such joy it can't help but impact the way we relate to others. As we remember with thankfulness and joy the grace that you and I have received from our Heavenly Father, we live that out almost naturally to everyone else that we, that we come into contact with. So what can we learn from this parable? Two things. Remember the grace that you've been shown in Jesus and extend that grace to other people. Today, I think almost naturally, we as human beings, uh, we're about law and justice and fairness, and that has a that has a place. That has a, a place in human society and relationships. But even more at the moment, I feel that's all that characterises us: law and justice and fairness. Are we fundamentally people of grace? Because we've received it, do we extend it to others? How can we not be when we've received so much? At the moment, I said before when I was apologising, I I hear things being said of unvaccinated people. They've made that decision, so there's consequences. That's fairness and justice. Is it grace? 
I hear being spoken of the immunocompromised. Well, they've made the decision to kind of remove themselves, and some of them still go to the mall, so if they don't come to church, that's their decision. What, we only extend grace to people who are eternally consistent in their lives? We have received grace when we didn't deserve it. How will we treat others? The way that we respond as Christians, as children of God, should be so different from the world around us. And if we behave in that countercultural way, the wonderful news is the light of Jesus Christ will shine more brightly. People will see there's a different way to live and people, we pray, will bow the knee and receive that wonderful grace that you and I have. It will happen if we remember the grace that we've received and seek to extend it to others. You and I have been given what we didn't deserve. And when we treat people, uh, other people in this world, other Christians and other non-Christians, with the same kind of grace, when our kindness and love that we show to others is, is manifestly different from the way the world is relating to each other, the name of Jesus Christ will be held on high and people will see that he is king. I think there's going to be incredible opportunities in the coming days for our love for people. If it's fueled from the grace that we've received from God, there will be wonderful opportunities for us to extend grace to others and it be a wonderful witness to the world. Because the way we act towards people will not be determined on our preferences and our thoughts. Uh, It won't be uh, based on fairness and what people will deserve and it will be extended to all, not those who think the right way and make the right decisions and are always consistent, but open to all. When we realise and are humbled by how much we've received when we didn't deserve it and how thankful and, I pray, joyful we are when we remember what we've been given, then we will treat others differently. I said at the church meeting a couple of weeks ago, uh, grace under fire. Uh, That was a, a name of a terrible sitcom in the 90s about a a lady whose name was Grace who had recently divorced, a recovering alcoholic with three children, having a hard life, and the title says it all, Grace Under Fire. Christians, we're going to be under fire in the days to come. We are going to face slings and arrows from each other and from outside, and life is going to be tricky. It's going to be hard. How will we respond? I pray it will be with grace. We've received it. Let's live it out to others. And the great news is, if we do that, Jesus Christ will be glorified. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your generosity. And forgive us when we treat others so differently. I pray that we may have an even deeper and more full appreciation of all that you've given us, even though we don't deserve it and that we may seek to live and extend grace to others that we come into contact with. Father, at the moment when all of us are struggling in different ways, help us see when we're acting selfishly or making situations worse, and I pray that we may love others, and that through that, the name of Jesus Christ would be glorified. We pray these things in his precious name. Amen.